Hello. Welcome to the Myths and History of Greece and Rome. Chapter 134. John the Beautiful. There are a few descriptions which survive of John Comnenus. His sister Anna, who, we remember, couldn't stand him, tells us that even when he was born he was not particularly attractive. He was of swarthy complexion, she says, with a broad forehead and rather thin cheeks. The Latin historian William of Tyre said John was short and unusually ugly, with eyes, hair and complexion so dark he was known as the Moor. A Moor is someone from part of North Africa. Shakespeare's character Othello was famously a Moor. So this seems a bit strange, doesn't it? What's the title of this chapter? Is it John the Ugly? Is it Unattractive John? Maybe John the Hideous? No, this chapter is called John the Beautiful, and John II deserved his name. It wasn't that he looked nice, it was his spirit and generosity that was beautiful. He was one of the most generous, kind and fair men who ever sat on the throne of the empire. It's said that throughout his reign he never had anyone physically harmed or executed. He was also a great soldier, and he became known as the new Marcus Aurelius. It has to be said that he probably wasn't much fun. He was very religious and disapproved of partying and anything else he considered not to be serious. In the 1100s, though, this went down well. He was loved by the people and the army throughout his reign. John was not as lucky as his father had been because he couldn't trust all of his family. Anna Comnena had worshipped her father but did not feel the same way about her poor brother. It wasn't long before she and her brother Andronicus were plotting against the new emperor. Unfortunately for them, they couldn't persuade Anna's husband, Nicephorus Bryonius, to join in the plot. The conspirators were all arrested, but John began his reign as he meant to go on. Nobody was executed and nobody was punished. Bryonius realised the emperor was a good man and went on to serve him loyally for 20 years. Anna was not so lucky. She was sent to a convent where she lived for the next 35 years. She never forgave her brother, but she didn't cause him any more trouble. The one member of his family that John did trust was his brother Isaac. John appointed Isaac as Sebastocrator, the second most important person in the empire. In late 1118, soon after John came to the throne, both men had sons. Both men already had sons and both were delighted to have another. John named his youngest son Manuel and Isaac named his Andronicus. These two baby boy cousins will both have a very important part to play in our story. John, like his father before him, believed that he had been appointed by God to lead his people. He took this to mean that it was his duty to liberate captured territory and return it to the empire, and boy, did he have a good go at it. Alexius had given the most important jobs to members of his family, but as we know, John wasn't as happy with the family as Alexius had been. He gave overall command of the army to his most trusted adviser. John Axuch was a Turk who had been captured by the Crusaders at Nicaea when he was a very small child. He'd been brought back to Constantinople and brought up in the imperial household. He was exactly the same age as John and they became best friends. As they grew up together, they formed a partnership just like that of Augustus and Marcus Agrippa. John Comnenus, like his father, was a soldier at heart. Together he and Axuch planned how they were going to restore the empire to greatness. They were going to march into Asia Minor and take on the Turks. 
The first couple of years of the reign saw some good victories over the Muslim sultanates and some territory regained. But in 1121, word came from Europe that the barbarians were raiding imperial territory. In the winter of 1121, the Pechenegs crossed the Danube and began laying waste to Thrace. Well, we are told it was the Pechenegs, but hadn't Alexis Comnenus wiped the whole tribe out 30 years earlier? So they were probably Cumans, or they may have been some other tribe. Nobody's too sure. Anyway, they were large, hairy, scary and angry, and there were about 50,000 of them raiding Thrace. So it doesn't really matter who they actually were. They needed to be dealt with. John marched out to meet them, John Axuch as his side. They managed to bribe some of the chieftains by giving them shiny presents and brought them over to the imperial side. The remainder of the barbarians were smashed in a decisive battle, leaving many dead and many others prisoners. John Axuch was wounded in the battle but recovered. The Pechenegg, or Cuman, or whoever, used the old barbarian tactic of defending their families with a circle of wagons. The Varangian guard, with their very, very large axes, were sent in and caused complete havoc. The anniversary of the victory became a holiday. The following year, John Comnenus made a warning raid into Serbia. John fell out with the Venetians and threw them out of Constantinople, but soon realised he would need Venetian help, so he gave them back their trading colony in the capital. Then, in 1128, Stephen II of Hungary attacked the empire after John refused to give back a member of Stephen's family who was living in Constantinople. The raid was unexpected, and soon Belgrade, Nish, Serdica and Philippopolis had been captured. The Hungarians soon retreated, leaving small garrisons in the captured cities, but the emperor was in no mood to let these attacks go unpunished, and he marched the army northward. The Imperial Army met up with some ships from the navy somewhere on the Danube near the fortress of Haram. The enemy were spotted camped on the other side of the river and John ordered that his army make no noise and march silently past. A mile or two further upstream, John and his troops crossed the river, crept up behind the Hungarian force and launched themselves at the startled Hungarians. Again, many were killed and again many more were captured. All of the cities were immediately returned to the empire. So John Comnenus had fought a series of wars in the European part of his empire and won them all. Not only that, he had captured loads of able-bodied men and forced them into joining the imperial army. He had a stable empire and loads more soldiers. Nice work, JC. By 11.30, the emperor was ready to begin his campaigns against the Turks. Unfortunately, his family got in the way again. In 11.30, John and his brother Isaac had fallen out and Isaac was forced to flee the empire seeking refuge at the court of Emir Ghazi, the ruler of the Danish men's Turks. There are vague reports that Isaac was plotting for the throne, but nobody is quite sure. The Danish men's had become the most powerful Turkish kingdom of Asia Minor. They had taken most of the land formerly owned by the Sultanate of Iconium and set up a powerful state. In 1130, Emir Ghazi had taken on the forces of the Prince of Antioch, Bohemond II. The Danishmans completely destroyed the armies of Bohemond, who was of course the son of Bohemond I, Alexius Comnenus's worst enemy. Bohemond's head was cut off and sent to the emir, who had it carefully preserved and sent it on as a present to the caliph in Baghdad. This probably would have made John Comnenus smile if he hadn't been so beautiful. Still, it was no bad thing that the Prince of Antioch was dead. 
the ancient city had only been lost to the Turks relatively recently and was still considered to be part of the empire. If John could hand out a defeat to the Danishmans, maybe he could retake the city. In 1130, he set off for the first of five campaigns against the Turks. For the first three years, John was hindered in his fighting by his brother Isaac, who seemed to be trying to get all of the empire's enemies to work together. In 1132, though, Isaac appears to have set off for the Holy Land. Maybe he realised his mistake and wanted to make amends. Maybe he just got religion all of a sudden. Either way, he caused the emperor no more problems. In 1133, John captured the important city of Castamon. He returned to Constantinople and celebrated the first triumph since the days of John Simitskis. The next year, he was back in Asia Minor with his four sons. His wife had died earlier in the year, and they had sadly escorted her body back to the capital. After the funeral, though, they knew they had to carry on the war. They were winning, and they couldn't afford to stop now. The emperor was delighted to hear that the emir Ghazi had died, and he used the confusion which always happens with the death of a king. He captured the city of Gangra, and so slowly pushed the borders of the empire eastward. With the Turks in disarray, John turned his attention to the two Christian states which he considered to be part of his empire, the Armenian Kingdom of Cilicia and the Principality of Antioch. Before he had time to start his campaigns, though, John received some very bad news. The Normans were about to launch an attack. The Normans had never really forgiven Alexius for defeating Bohemond, and now that they'd regained their strength, they were intent on conquest. The Norman leader, Roger of Sicily, had been in charge for about four years and was now ready for invasion. John had inherited many of his father's best traits. He was fair, strong-minded and a great soldier. He now proved he'd also inherited Alexis's gift for diplomacy. In late 1135, he sent ambassadors to the Western Emperor, Lothair. Nobody's too sure what the message said, but it must have been good, because in 1137, Lothair launched a massive campaign against the Sicilian Normans, which kept them occupied for a long time. There was no Norman attack on the empire. The Normans were just too busy. So, in 1137, the Armenian king of Cilicia, Leo, also received some very bad news. The army of John Comnenus was marching against him. And what an army it was. The heart of the army, including the Varangian Guard, were now veterans with 20 years of hard fighting behind them. Added to this were many regiments of Pechenegs, or maybe humans, who had been absorbed into the army and found they liked it. There were also Turks who found life better fighting for the empire than against it. The army stormed into the Armenian kingdom and swept everything aside. All of the major cities were taken, including Tarsus, and some virtually impregnable fortresses were captured after sieges. Leo fled into the high Taurus mountains, and John didn't even bother to chase him. He marched south, and on the 29th of August, 1137, arrived under the walls of Antioch. The Prince of Antioch, a Frenchman called Raymond of Poitiers, looked down from his tower at the huge imperial army and sighed. He realised he couldn't hold out for long. There was only one thing for it, and that one thing was to ask for peace. So he sent a messenger to John, saying he would recognise the emperor as his overlord if he could stay in charge of Antioch. John Comnenus was in no mood for a bargain, so he said no. He demanded a complete and unconditional surrender. Raymond played for time and said he'd have to ask the king of Jerusalem. 
The King of Jerusalem was a more sensible man and immediately said yes. John Comnenus and his men marched into Antioch without a drop of blood being spilled. He was as generous as usual. He demanded free and unobstructive access to the city, but he let Raymond stay. John began a campaign against Aleppo and some other cities in the spring of 1138. The imperial army, along with the Latin troops, took Balat between Antioch and Aleppo and Bizar. The Allies, however, failed to surprise Aleppo and turned to besiege Shizar on the Orontes in April. Before long, though, serious arguments broke out between the Latin leaders and the emperor. John, hopping mad at the suspicious behaviour of the Prince of Antioch and of Jocelyn, Count of Edessa, got fed up and lifted the siege. The armies returned to Antioch, where John demanded the castle be handed over. Raymond and Jocelyn couldn't refuse, so they stirred up trouble in the city and a riot broke out. John, his mood very far from beautiful, packed up and went home. He was not happy at all, and he vowed that he'd be back. When he arrived in Constantinople, his brother Isaac had appeared and begged forgiveness. Any other emperor would probably have had Isaac executed or blinded, or at least exiled. John welcomed Isaac back and forgave him completely. John the Beautiful didn't stay in Constantinople for long. He was, as we know, at heart a soldier and he had work to do. He campaigned throughout the summer, defeating the leader of a breakaway empire centred on the city of Trebizond. There were a few more successful battles against the Danish men's. During one of them, John's son Manuel displayed his courageous and reckless side when he charged the enemy. John was furious and gave his son a good telling off. Manuel's cousin, Andronicus, managed to get himself captured by the Seljuks at this time. At least John didn't have to tell his son off for that. The emperor was forced to retreat due to a lack of horses and provisions in the summer of 1140, but he only spent a short time in the capital before setting out again. In 1142, after another year of successful fighting, John Comnenus suffered two great tragedies. His eldest son and heir, Alexius, caught a virus and suddenly died. John loved his son dearly and was devastated, but he couldn't afford to leave the battlefields, so he sent his second and third sons, Andronicus and Isaac, back to Constantinople with the body. On the way back, Andronicus also died, probably of the same virus. A heartbroken John Comnenus marched back to Antioch and demanded that Raymond hand the city back over to him. Raymond refused and John prepared to besiege. Winter was coming though and the emperor decided to go back to Cilicia and set up camp. He would begin the siege in the spring. In March 1143 the weather was better and the emperor was ready for action. John the Beautiful had been Basileus for over 24 years. He had shown himself to be one of the most generous and hard-working emperors ever to sit on the throne of the empire. He was loved by his people and worshipped by his soldiers. He was still only 55 years old and had nearly achieved his goal of retaking Antioch and much of Asia Minor. A few more years of campaigning would do it. John Comnenus was not to know it, but he didn't have a few years. When he set out to enjoy some hunting before marching south, he only had a few days. Next time, we'll find out why he only had a few days. So until then, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.